This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy, joined as always by Adam Booker. Hello Adam. Hello Amos. And another jubilant Englishman to my right, Alex Brotherton. Great to have you back, and what a day to choose to do so. England European Champions House. Good does that sound? It sounds very good, mate. It sounds very good. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here to um, dive into all things City and, and obviously the Lionesses as well, because it was an absolutely fantastic game yesterday and uh, amazing achievements. So, yeah, can't wait to get into it. Yeah, contrasting results this weekend, as I'm sure those of a City and England persuasion will understand. Um, because of that, we, we will start with the England women's national team who wrapped up a, a first ever trophy, major final trophy yesterday to the time of recording, probably two days by the time this goes out against Germany, the old enemy. Um, we are heavily weighted in Englishmen, so we'll, we'll start there. Alex, you and I have both been to various Euros games over the summer and, and, and for me it was a perfect ending for what had been a, a pretty perfect tournament actually. We're, we're what nearly it was about a month in, in length, but what a summer of football. Yeah, it's been absolutely great, really, hasn't it? I think yeah, obviously in England it's it's been perfect for us, but um I think it's just had everything you'd really want from a, an international football tournament, really. It's had High quality, excellent players. It's had some thrilling matches. It's had this the odd moment of controversy sort of thrown in there. Mm. It's um, obviously it's ended with England winning it, which is very welcome, but highly highly irregular. <laughs> so it's yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and I think it's and then obviously from apart from what we've seen on the pitch, uh, hopefully there's just going to be a fantastic legacy for for women's football in not just this this country but in Europe and, and the rest of the world. And I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to that. Uh, shortly, but just from a from a the point of view of the pitch uh, on the pitch, it's yeah the quality's been really good. Been to a, a few games, and you know it's just it's been so amazing to see you know not just the, the great players that England have, but you know uh, players like Vivian Miedemar for mm. Netherlands and and uh, and some of the Swedish players like uh, Fridolina Rolfo and mm. and all these incredible players to see them sort of up close and you know playing close to. You know, just playing in this country, um, it's been pretty well organised, I'd say, uh, by UEFA. There was there were some complaints before the tournament started about you know the size of some of the venues, um, and I think that's definitely something that should be improved uh, next time uh, this tournament comes around. But yeah, pretty much overall fantastic tournament. Everything went pretty well, and um, yeah, just an incredible spectacle. 
Yeah, it's been absolutely superb. Um, Adam, should I tell the listeners about your pre-match goading, or, or will you do that? Do the pleasure of, of what you spent the the sort of hour before kickoff uh, informing Alex and I about your newly found allegiance to the German national team. Well, if you haven't learned anything about me yet, whether it's in real life sports or fantasy sports, it's that I take everything way too seriously and <laughs> will get way too competitive about the smallest of things. I had no skin in that game. I have distant, That's not distant, what you were telling us. distant That's not family that came us. from <laughs> that came from Germany. So I said, listen, lads, I am a German and today I'm I'm rude for my home country. Um, but no, I, I just enjoyed what was a, a fantastic, fantastic game and yeah, it capped off a fantastic tournament as well. Yeah, yeah. Just to reiterate, suddenly about two hours, an hour before kickoff on Sunday, which was the day of the game, Adam became the world's biggest Germany supporter. And, and it actually looks like you had a, a lovely venue to watch your beloved Germany, a, a nice women's sports bar in Portland. And I think even you admitted after after full time just how good of a, a game it was. And it wasn't necessarily that sort of that fast flowing, lovely football that you might expect from some of the world's best there was a lot of shit housing going on, and and it felt like it was on a on a knife edge throughout the entire what 120 minutes, and and the elation come the full time whistle that when that uh, Chloe Kelly goal went in, which we'll we'll speak about, and a city persuasion was was ecstatic. So yeah, it looks like you had a funny afternoon watching England pick up their first trophy since 1966. Yeah, it was nice. Just down the block from me is um, a pub called the Sports Bra, and it's an, an all-women's sports pub, and they don't show any men's sports there. And um, in a city like Portland, it, it's a really popular place, and they're pretty they're pretty new, but every time I drive by, it's um, packed. So, yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere in there, and didn't nobody in there really had any skin in the game, so it was just like everyone was just cheering every mm. big moment, no matter who had the ball, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a lovely morning. Lovely stuff. Uh, obviously, like I said, there plenty of City involvement in that successful England team. Seven current City players and a, a handful of those who have just left the club or, or have been recently involved with the club as well. Ellie Roebuck, City's uh, number one goalkeeper. Alex Greenwood, one of the best centre-halves in the WSL. She got on towards the end. Kira Walsh, who for me was probably player of the tournament. I thought she was exceptional. She obviously played that ball to Ella Toon for the opener. Ellen White, England's record goal scorer um did a job she we know what to expect from her she put herself about and obviously made way for alessia russo in the second half demi stokes lauren hemp fantastic winger and then of course the 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 newly found household name match winning shirt wheeling around the head superstar chloe kelly now for those who perhaps haven't followed the women's team as much um because we will switch it over to a city side just for a moment but chloe kelly's story is absolutely astonishing isn't it alex she she last season she um she did her ACL playing in a game. It took her 11 months to get back. She only got back into the City team in April, which was, like I said, 11 months out. There was absolutely next to no chance she'd make this England team, especially considering the talent that has, has sort of been waiting in reserve. She managed to squeeze herself through, Got had a, a good enough end to the campaign in the few games she played, got a few goals. She's been used sparingly throughout the tournament, a few cameos, five minutes, ten minutes here and there brought on obviously in the final and to to score that goal you could see the emotion on on her on her side and, and what it meant the absolute let out of, of emotion but for everyone else involved who, who knew that sort of how difficult it's been for these last like this last year or so it was absolutely superb wasn't it Alex? Yeah it was it's definitely a really emotional moment um, and then obviously she's been out for so long and she's coming to this tournament knowing that she was going to be one of the players that wasn't really going to be starting was going to have the sort of the the, the kind of I wouldn't even say she had the impact substitute role because I guess that was more mm. uh, Ella Toon and Alessia Russo that that Serena Wiegmann uh, turned to, but she obviously she's had a few cameo appearances and yeah, just to 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 come in and, and pop up with that goal after everything she's been through and you know she's obviously been working hard at, uh, back at City trying to come back from this injury and and City have obviously played a massive part in. Um, in her recovery sort of work leading up to the tournament, I'm sure, you know, she's never she's never going to forget the, the role that City have played in that. Uh, but obviously, ultimately, it's her that scored that goal. And if it wasn't, you know, she was going to be iconic as it was. She was going to be a legend just for scoring the goal. But to then, for that celebration, yeah. which I, obviously I've only just sort of learned this myself, but it's, it's very similar to um, 
celebration that Brandy Chastain uh, yeah, did for yeah. the US women's national team when they, I think it was the 1999 World Cup, uh, I think after the winning penalty, she sort of whipped off the shirt and twirled it around her head. And, you know, this Chloe Kelly doing that yesterday, you know, she's going to be remembered for forever for the goal, but the, the celebration as well is just another iconic moment. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many incredible backstories to, to the players in this England team, whether that be, you know, people like uh, City's Ellen White, who when she first started playing kind of, uh, well, you know, like players weren't playing full time when she was, mm. Uh, about when she was playing and uh, so many other incredible stories but you know this is just it just seems really fitting and really special that uh, after what's been a pretty horrendous year for Chloe Kelly that that she got to be the be the woman that um, that scored the winning goal so yeah hopefully from a City perspective um, hopefully she'll sort of take this and you know kick on from here and and she'll be she'll be great at City for years to come because you know she's she's still pretty young so it's she's still got a lot of most of her career ahead of her. So it's um, yeah, incredible moment for her. And, and hopefully it's just the sort of the, the start of things to come. Certainly. She's, she's an unbelievable talent. When she gets going, the, there's few more exciting players to watch. And, and obviously another one of those names, Jill Scott, who was the only woman left from the 2009 Euros final when Germany beat England 6-2 to feature. And, and the, 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 just the, the transformation has been astonishing. I just actually wanted to, to ask you, Adam, because Aside from your one-day loan to the German national team, your the the native US women's national team are obviously quite the outfit in women's football, unlike the men's team, I will add. Um, but but they've seen a lot of success on the world stage. Now, have you been able to see firsthand? Uh, Alex mentioned there the 1999 World Cup when it was seen as a sort of turning point in in the US, or at least that's what it's billed as. But have you been able to see firsthand what? success at tournament levels can do for the women's game in terms of media coverage and just sort of seeing it on a on a level playing field to the men the men male counterparts yeah absolutely and and alex hit the nail on the head you know that that brandy chastain celebration in in 1999 is an iconic moment in in not only american women's sports but just american sports in general um Mm -hmm. and you know i was only three in in that world cup but you know, it set off kind of a huge chain of events that led to being the U.S. women's national team being so big in this country. And I could say that you could argue at times that they were bigger than the men's team, at least in the the media and, and kind of just in the general subconscious of the U.S., um, you know, soccer fan base, I'll call it soccer. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I mean, the city that I live in now, we've got you know, men's team and a women's team, and they get almost equal attendance at the games. You'll get 20,000 plus sellouts for our women's team here. And, and that's, you know, that happens all around this country. So yeah, I think it's a huge moment for England. And um, yeah, definitely a lot of similarities to draw from that, that Brandy Chastain moment and, and the win in 1999. And this, the celebrations looking almost identical to each other. It's, um, it's definitely not a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and there's a lot there's a lot of work to do. Let's not mistake it, and, and we'll keep banging the drum. Obviously, Adam and I, you, you, uh, we we speak about it a bit. Potentially, we could do enough. I know for you, Adam, watching the city's women's team isn't always so easy. Obviously, the time difference, but getting coverage and whatnot. But but we'll continue banging the drum. But um, before we wrap the Euro chat, then. Alex, just a word on the legacy you mentioned earlier on and particularly going forward with the club's game because unlike the US, you feel as if if women's football is to thrive anywhere in the world, you'd expect it to be in England because those established names like Chelsea, like Arsenal, like City, like Liverpool, like Tottenham, like Man United are already there from the male game. So just transferring it over in in sort of in practice should be easy, but we know it we know it isn't. Um, you mentioned to us, I think it was yesterday, you are, you've already purchased your ticket for City v Arsenal, which is the Women's Super League opener. And is that something that you personally will continue to do, sort of going going off the back? this tournament going forward yeah I think um, I'm really looking forward to trying to get to some more um, mm. some more women's games uh, this season because yeah I, I can't pretend that you know I've you know I've seen quite a lot of journalists on on Twitter who have, have been sort of following and um, and sort of uh, banging the drum for, for women's football for so many years now I can't pretend to be someone that's that's followed for, for that much I've sort of watched some of the last World Cup and then I've watched this Euros and really got into it and in quite a big way but I think that's that's kind of the beauty of these kind of tournaments like hopefully 
you know, it inspires lots of other people to, to follow it. And, and more importantly, it inspires sort of, you know, school girls, young girls to, to, to try and get involved in the game when, you know, past generations haven't had that, um, that opportunity, sadly. Um, but hopefully they'll take inspiration from this. And yeah, I think in terms of the Women's Super League, I think hopefully it encourages more people to go. Um, whether that be sort of girls getting into football for the first time and they actually get into football directly through women's football, not not as a kind of, you know, maybe that their family takes them as a, as a kind of a one-off thing or, or whether that's people like me that have supported Manchester City men's team all my life, but now I'm just sort of getting into the, to the women's team. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think it's one of the lines that, you know, people that like to belittle women's football and, and whatnot kind of come out with a lot is, well, there's not enough interest. So, you know, what's the point in, you know, putting more money into it and that kind of thing. But that, that's what needs to happen. More money, more coverage, um, because then that's when you get the higher quality that attracts more people and it gets the word out there more. Um, and I think that's the way that obviously it's grown hugely in the last sort of year, maybe a few couple of years, but that can only continue now. Um, and yeah, just on the Women's Super League, I think there's still more things that they c- the Super League could do, you know, mm. to, to get people to go. Like the, the City-Arsenal game you mentioned, obviously I live in Manchester, so getting to a game at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening... Yeah isn't hard but I think Ian Wright mentioned this um, yesterday on on the BBC's coverage you know it's not a very friendly time 7pm on a Sunday evening Mm. especially if you're travelling from further afield and you know if they want people to go and they want to grow it they need to be putting games at sort of friendlier times and away fans as well this Euros has shown that there is no there's no real need for sort of away fans sort of segregation um, at at sort of uh, big women's games but it's really hard for Arsenal fans, for example, to get tickets for the game at the City Academy Stadium. They have to sort of go through the club and there's such a limited um, allocation. So it's just things like this. I think there's still too many barriers at the minute to it properly taking off here. And, you know, it can do that in the club game. Like It's, it's definitely possible. We've seen with Barcelona um, mm. last season. So, yeah, I'll, I'm definitely going to be looking to get to more games and I would um, I would encourage as many City fans as possible to try and get down to some uh, women's teams because you know they're a fantastic team at the end of the day and there's some incredible players. Um, echo so that, yeah, yeah. E- echo that completely. Some of the best football I saw last season, and, and bearing in mind this was a another Manchester City men's title win, was at the Academy Stadium watching City women put four, five, six past some teams, and and that look we, we've seen the quality that has been on show in this Euros. They're the same players. They're they're the same players, and you're having an international experience too. I, I think the the final thing on this for me is. If, if anything can be taken from this tournament is is forget the tag that it's women's football and, and just see it as football. It, don't get me wrong, it's a different type of experience, but it's no different than you might get going to your local non-league team or going to a team elsewhere. And it's just going forward, don't sort of turn your back on women's football after this tournament because we've seen the quality it can produce and the entertainment it can produce as well. And it's only a matter of time before does start to get towards that level playing field in terms of attention and, and in terms of um, the coverage it gets. And, and like I said, we'll continue to do that. But um, right, let's move on and speak about a game that wasn't ex- as enjoyable to watch from a City point of view. And that is obviously City 1, Liverpool 3 in this season's Community Shield. Adam, you told us before we hit record today that your interest in the Community Shield post-match is at an all-time low. It's just a meaningless friendly, right? Um, yeah, I would say that it's the result is meaningless is what I'd like to put yeah. out there. It's not a meaningless game because I think it's I think it's a great game to be involved in. A, because in order to get there, you've got to win something. Um, but mm. B, it's a free hit of a high intensity game, a high intensity atmosphere to kind of get those, you know, that kind of game back in your legs. Because let's be honest, you can play you know, 30 preseason games, but if it's not a high intensity or in a good atmosphere to kind of get the blood pumping, then you're still going to kind of have to shake the rust off when you get back into competitive football. Um, so the result doesn't really mean anything to me. I think this game felt really disappointing because there was so much hype about this team coming into this season and the new players and the new signings and, you know, the squad felt really fresh in some of the preseason games um, and then it was a really, you know, flat performance. But but like I said, it's it's hard to feel like a game against Liverpool 
in a high intensity atmosphere is, is meaningless. Um, but I will caveat that by saying the result is meaningless, especially when you look at something like, you know, eight of the last 10 community shield winners didn't go on to win the Premier League that season, something like that. So it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really tell you anything about your fortunes that season. City City lost the community shield last season, didn't play particularly well in it, didn't play particularly well in the following week at, at Tottenham either and and went on to you know, hit the the third highest points tally in club history and win the league that season. So, um, yeah, I'm not reading into the result too much um, or really the performance too much. It's just, um, for me, another game for them to kind of get their legs under them and, and we'll really see the, the true test in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's the least important and the most important games of the season, really. And the obvious stock answer for the two teams involved is if you win, it's another trophy to add to to add, uh, to add to the collection but if you lose it's a meaningless friendly and it, it definitely feels like we're on the latter side for me though in all honesty it's probably somewhere in between and, and losing the game against Liverpool when there is a trophy on the line is frustrating um, as always though the main takeaway from that victory is, is going to be the performance and, and what positives you can take out of it we put a, a tweet out a little bit uh, after the game and we'll get to that a little bit later on but for me, Alex, I thought I thought City were great in parts, but then they were really lacking in others. And I don't know how you saw it, but but what did you dissect and what did you take away from the performance? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was quite a mixed bag. Um, to be honest, I think yeah, the, the start wasn't great at all. Obviously, Liverpool were um, clearly sort of the looking the sharper team, perhaps the fitter team, um, but also Liverpool were sort of putting City under the cosh kind of straight away and um, City just looked a little bit nervy in defence and whenever they tried to sort of play out, the ball was coming back quite a lot. Um, mm. It didn't look like, you know, there wasn't... There, obviously, Liverpool play with a very high line and there's there's so much space in behind. Um, and we saw a few times that Erling Haaland kind of made a run and then nobody really found him with the run. Um, but then I think that kind of bo- goes both ways in the sense that I think I saw a stat that, that Haaland completed seven passes in the whole game. or some I think it was seven or eight, which obviously he is he's used to being that kind of striker that is just thriving on service into the box. But I think some ad- adaptation is going to have to take place both ways in that City will need to get used to finding him more when he makes those runs. But also he needs to be making more than seven passes in a game. He needs to be a bit more involved than that in a Pep Guardiola team. But in terms of the game, obviously, I thought after half-time, uh, City came into it a lot more. Obviously, they, they started playing some pretty decent stuff, um, finding their way through Liverpool. And, and then, obviously, Julian Alvarez got that um, somewhat scrappy equaliser. But I think it was his movement and his sort of position in the box was really good. Um, and he's someone that he's someone that I've been really impressed with in, uh, in pre-season so far. Um, so yeah, I think I think there is positives to take. Obviously, Alvarez's goal, um, the kind of some of De Bruyne, what stuff that De Bruyne was doing. I thought he was quite good again. Um, and then I felt Phil Foden looked really sharp uh, when he came on, even though obviously he didn't he didn't go on the preseason tour in the US. Um, but obviously, then there, there were some drawbacks as well, like the defending was a bit shaky. Jao Cancelo had a pretty torrid time against uh, Mo Salah. And um and yeah, and I thought maybe Diaz and Ake kind of you could probably tell that they weren't City's two best centre backs on the ball. Um let's put it like that. I think they're both brilliant defenders. But when you play against a team as high pressing as Liverpool, hard to play through, you need at least one of John Stones or Laporte at the back, in my opinion. Um but yeah, I don't think it was a disastrous game. Obviously, Haaland had that miss at the end, which we'll probably come on to, but um <laughs> I think, you know, there's just been a big overreaction to that, hasn't there? But, you know, he'll he'll get these chances and he'll score plenty of goals. So, yeah, I think it's one of those where they'll probably learn more from this than had, you know, had City won comfortably or or um, or had everything gone according to plan. They'll probably learn more from this. Um, so, yeah, it's I'm kind of I think I agree with both of you. I thought there was good and bad parts. But then I also agree with um, with Adam that, you know, it's it's not a mean it's not a sort of. It's a pretty pointless, uh, the results doesn't really mean much, but in terms of the game, it, it can teach quite a lot. It felt a little disjointed for me from from the first whistle to the last. And obviously, we've had 
1.75 preseason friendlies, as you said last week, Adam. Um, but it was surprising in a way because Pep went with a very strong start in 11. And obviously, again, the asterisk is there's not that much game time in those legs, but you still expect a little bit more quality um, considering the end of the, the end of the Premier League season was what only only a couple of months ago. I We were on here last week, weren't we, Adam, saying that, well, for me, I didn't think Haaland would start. I, I was almost certain in that he wouldn't start and it would be it would actually be a mistake to start him. Team News dropped. He was in the lineup. I was ready to eat my hat after an Erling debut hat trick. But in truth, I'm not too sure the, the right decision was made. Now, Adam, if you look at this from sort of taking off the the preseason hat and looking at it in a sort of the whatever ounce of competitiveness was there to win he looked very leggy and lacked that match sharpness to make a proper sustained impact throughout those 90 minutes as Alex says there he was making unbelievable runs in the first half but the ball just wasn't being found uh, or so the the pass just wasn't being found but by the time that space was opening up in the second half it, it just looked very laboured when you expect or, or from my game plan that I'd mustered up inside my head he comes on in the, into that space and, and tears Liverpool a new one now I'm not saying I got it right and Pep got it wrong but Adam I got it right and Pep got it wrong <laughs> didn't he that, that's just how it is I'm not totally sure about that. Yeah, I mean, I I was a bit surprised to see him in, in the starting eleven. I mean, I think we had you know some reports about 24 hours ahead of time that that may happen. Um, but yeah, like I had said on on last week's episode, I I really felt like Julian Alvarez would be starting up top the way mm. that he did in, in the preseason, and and Holland would come on for you know max 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, I, I was surprised to see him start, but it's a kind of situation where he looked a bit flat. He looked a bit leggy, but then again, if he took a couple of the chances that we would expect him to take, he could have, he could have walked out of this game with a hat trick quite easily. Yeah. Um, and our conversation would be, yeah, city have got that penalty box poacher that they've been, they've been missing, you know, a guy that can kind of be a little bit invisible. And, and like, I think it was Alex said, you know, he only made seven passes in the game and, um, but if you come away with only seven completed passes, but three goals, you've had a pretty damn good game. Yeah. Um, so it could have gone totally the other way had he stuck a few of those balls in the back of the net. Um, but the positives, I think you could say, of course, in order to, to make those chances, his, his movement looked good. Um, and I think, like you said, if it's some, some of those balls have been played kind of off the shoulder of the the last defender a few times in the first half, he could have been in on Allison or wasn't Allison uh, in on Adrian pretty pretty often, um, and we could have seen maybe four or five goals from him on the day. So it was one of those performances in which a couple of things goes his way, and it's a brilliant performance, no matter you know how leggy he may have looked. Um, I would be surprised to see him starting against West Ham. I think we'll see you know, kind of how he, how he does in training this week. And it's probably going to have to be a big week for him to get up to match fitness and, and to look totally match sharp. Um, but I'm not really looking at that performance and feeling worried. Um, in fact, I took yeah. a great deal of confidence from it in the fact that he was getting into positions to put the ball in the back of the net. I think part of the, part of the worry when we signed Erling Holland was how does he fit in? How does, City um, create chances for him when he's, you know, almost a polar opposite to a Phil Foden false nine or, or somebody like that. Um, but I think the answer was pretty clear that there is going to be times to create plenty of chances for him. And mm. um, I think when the front four or five get on the same page with each other, it's going to be a scary, scary prospect. And, and you know, they had only 1.75 games in preseason, so it's going to take some time. But but it's it's going to happen, and it's going to be a scary prospect for the rest of the league. I think when we do our first ever City Report podcast merchandise drop, it's just going to be 1.75 games in preseason because that's turned into quite a tagline. Um, yeah, I, look, I'd have been much more concerned if Erling Haaland had 30-plus passes and zero shots to his name after that game because we know there's a billion players in the City squad who can do that role and, and who can be involved in the in the build-up play side of things but not necessarily get themselves into positions to, to take those chances. And, and look, I think a lot is being said about Haaland and we'll speak about it in very shortly, but 
a lot is being forgotten about the fact that he actually did score a goal as well. And if it wasn't for the width of the touchline in Foden's lovely back heel pass, he'd have been getting out of there. We don't know what would have happened after 2-2, but he would have scored the equalising goal and, and things could look much different. Um, the the biggest sort of, I wouldn't call it concern, but the biggest takeaway from from Haaland's performance for me was his, his link up with Kevin De Bruyne. And I think off the bat, something with one of them or, or either both of them or find their compromise will have to change because there are a few there are a few moments. I think Joe Ricci from the Main Road Ramble put a decent thread out on Twitter about this as well. So check that out. But there was a few moments where Kevin De Bruyne would pick the ball up sort of City's most advanced midfielder in, in typical fashion and he'd look to drive at the defences we've seen him do a number of times looking to commit the defenders before slit, slotting someone in now the difference there being with Haaland he's come from a brushy Dortmund team where as soon as any of his midfield counterparts get the ball his first thought is to run in behind it and exploit that space and there was a, a couple of times of you, as you've mentioned there Adam where Haaland was just sort of stood there in an offside position and the ball hadn't been played to him. And, and I just feel like the two of them can have an extremely successful relationship. But that time and, and working together on the training on the training pitch is going to be needed before it gets to that point. Um, Alex, a word from you then on the, on the big Nordic meat shield, because let's face it, it wasn't a debut to remember. I don't think it will be going down in the history books unless you sort of class that miss at the end as as something to remember, obviously not from a City point of view, but some of the hysteria and the videos and the news articles that have come out uh, post-match have been, well, laughable, really. The hyperbole has been something to behold and it's nothing quite like this country's ability to write someone off before they've even started a Premier League game, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's sort of predictable at this point, really, isn't it? Um, mm. I think before we, yeah, I think before we go all sort of, um, yeah, like tinfoil hat, um, <laughs> City Brigade, um, I think this is the kind of treatment Darwin Nunez was getting yeah, the other week, sure, wasn't it? Sure. When he, he had that game where he missed a few sitters and people were showing clips of, a, of like a bad first touch and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's it's it just it just makes me laugh because it, it just I just think oh cheeky Bagheristan's gonna wait must have woken up this morning and go oh you know what I'm, I've got to get the receipt from Harlan because like <laughs> you know Blue Nose sixteen on Twitter thinks he's crap now or something uh, but yeah um, I think yeah it, it'll be absolutely fine you know hope maybe you get the impression that um, Harlan's one of these guys that you know he, he likes a bit of motivation he likes mm. a bit of um, I don't know, you know, just something to fire him up. So, you know, obviously I think we'll come on to West Ham in a bit, but West Ham centre-backs, they could be in for a, could be in the firing line on, on Sunday, I feel, especially if, uh, if Harlem feels like he's got a bit of a point to prove, but I don't think he really does. You know, it's no. just one of those. He'll be, he'll be back scoring goals pretty soon, I imagine. Yeah, if, the, if there's one thing that is a certainty about this transfer, it's the fact that Erling Haaland can finish and, and we don't need any sort of confirmation off the back of that. We know he can put the ball in the back of the net. The concerns were how will he be able to link up with, with the rest of the players and I've just aired one there with Kevin De Bruyne but, but more importantly, where, how is he going to find himself in goal-scoring chances and, and that happened a number of times in that Liverpool Community Shield game. Um, by no means, though, was it all doom and gloom on Saturday. As Adam, you say, there's, there are positives to take away. We did stick a tweet out asking people for their for their highlights from it and what they're feeling positive about. I'll read some of them out now. Um, Balogun said, played very well considering all the changes that have been made in the pre-season. Haaland put himself into position to score, which we've just mentioned. Foden and Alvarez looked excellent. Dan simply puts Julian Alvarez. Um, spider emoji, web emoji. I think that's a dart emoji. And then the two the two hands in his sort of trademark celebration with a smiley face. That was very artistic and, and loved that. Um, Dennis adds, Edison's shot stopping was a lot better than last season, which I thought a lot of people were picking up on now. This is a, a, a quite a stern anti-Edison slander zone, but Edison did have a fantastic game, so it's, it's nice to see him having the getting the flowers he deserves. Frank says, no injuries plus an Alvarez goal. 
Lots of shouts for our boy Alvarez there, Adam. And it, he was a really bright spark. And, and that I can't remember how long it was, maybe 30-minute cameo, showed some fantastic signs of, of promise. And I think my biggest positive is is you can see Pat Guardiola is going to have a lot of fun working with that boy because he's got all the hallmarks of a, a Guardiola player. Yeah, and we got a uh, kind of trademark Pep Guardiola moment in which you know the stadium erupts at the, the VAR overturning that, that non-call or the non-goal yeah. call, and um, the whole team is celebrating, and, and the, the camera pans to the sideline, and we see Pep just laying, not laying into Alvarez, but, you know, very... Um, Doing his thing. Very animated and, and giving him instructions and while everyone else is off celebrating. But, yeah, Alvarez was, you know, he's a, another bright spot like he was in, in the preseason. He's a ton of energy when he comes on, his pressing, and, um, you know, I think it was Pep in the preseason who said that, Gabriel Jesus is the best defensive forward he's ever seen, but that Alvarez puts in quite a shift as well. Mm. Um, and I think he's going to be an incredible player for City. And, and he's one of those players that I don't want to say he's like Gabriel Jesus because I think they're in many ways, Gabriel Jesus um, didn't live up to what we thought of him and what we had expected of him, whether those expectations were fair or unfair mm. is, is another conversation. Um but I think with Alvarez, we have another player that is going to leave everything on the pitch when they get mm. out there. And, and there's not going to be any sort of um, flat performances. He's always going to be, you know, on his bike and, and causing a bit of chaos. And I think there was a lot of fear that losing players like Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling meant that City were losing a bit of dynamism and a bit of energy in, in that front line. And I think Alvarez is a player that's going to step up big time in that point of view. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting time, especially when we're feeling like, is Holland maybe fit? Is he not fit? And um, maybe if Alvarez wasn't around, we'd be really uncomfortable by that. Um, but I'm I'm not too uncomfortable by that because I would have absolutely no worries if, if Julian Alvarez was the man through the middle um, at, at the London Stadium this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And, and just looking back uh, in preparation for this recording, um Actually, I didn't watch the goal back until today, but I didn't realise Julian Alvarez won the ball back to start off with and, and then obviously managed to put it away after Foden shot. And, and actually, Haaland was involved in the build-up play to that, so that almost got missed as well. But but yeah, he's, he's a very exciting talent and it'd be great to see his ball retention numbers come the end of the season because he, he does look like he... he any time he loses the ball or any time one of his teammates loses the ball, he, he does everything to win it back. And almost a little bit Carlos Tevez-esque to, to make that comparison to a, another South American player. But um, as Adam mentions there, Alex, West Ham is the next fixture for City. It's obviously the first game of the new Premier League season, which City are reigning champions once again. For me, I think apart from the, the other top six teams, this is the worst possible opening game of the season. You're going away to a packed out London stadium. It's what, technically, what is it? One game since City last went there in the Premier League. Obviously, the penultimate game of, of last season was there and it looked as if the title dreams were going away with the London rain and then suddenly 2-2, Mahrez is penalty miss and whatever the hell happened against Aston Villa. Um, but but I think this is going to be really difficult Difficult game for City. You mentioned the West Ham defenders won't fancy. It. I, I don't. I don't necessarily know if City defenders will fancy it. They've they've made some fantastic signings, West Ham, and I'm not saying City are going to go there and get turned over. But in terms of an opening day where you where notoriously anything can happen, really, we saw how how woeful City were at, at Tottenham last year. Could be a little bit of a banana skin. Yeah, I mean it's. I, I'm kind of hoping for some a match a bit less eventful than the, the last yeah, time we went to yeah. the London Stadium. But um, yeah, I guess as opening day games go, a trip to West Ham isn't the kindest uh, sort of fixture that the, the the fixture generator could have chucked up. But um, I don't know, as you said, yeah, the first half at London Stadium back in May yeah, was, was pretty rough for City's defence. But in terms of, um, even if West Ham have strengthened in attack, I think slightly more confident that City should be able to cope. Uh, so I think the big point with that in that first half um, a few months ago was Mikhail, uh, Mikhail Antonio was mm. just sort of bullying. Uh, I think it was Nathan Ake and Fernandinho were at centre-back for City that day um, when Zinchenko at left-back. 
and he was kind of running the show up, up top and uh, winning every ball and kind of knocking it down to Jared Bowen to, to then come steaming through the middle. And obviously, it was it was Bowen that got both of West Ham's goals. Um, I feel like we could see Antonio again because I know that um, Gianluca Schumacher, uh, the new mm. West Ham striker, I don't believe he played in their most recent friendly. So I don't know if they'd chuck him straight into playing City. Maybe they do, but I imagine if he doesn't, then it'll be Antonio up front. Um, but City are going to have Ruben Diaz, um, who's obviously the most physical sort of presence among their centre backs, um, and then obviously Ake or Stones alongside him, uh, and obviously I guess Kyle Walker being back is is a pretty handy thing to have, given that West Ham have quite a quite a pacey attack nowadays. Mm. So it's he obviously offers that bit of extra protection um, that Jao Cancelo didn't really do back in uh, the last game they played there. So. Yeah, it could. It's it's definitely not an easy one, but I feel maybe that City might cope a little bit better with West Ham's attack. But yeah, it's still going to be a tough game, as you said. They've recruited well. They've already had some brilliant players like Declan Rice and, and Bowen and Antonio. So um, yeah, I feel like you know we we lost at Tottenham in the first game of last season, and obviously everything turned out all right in the end. So I think it's one of them games where you know if it was to if City were to drop points, and obviously if that happens, hopefully it's a draw rather than a loss. It's probably not the end of the world um, unless anything absolutely terrible happens. But yeah, you know, it's City should obviously go in looking to win. But I think a draw wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world, would it? I'm sure City Twitter would agree with you that it would be the end of the world if City dropped points on the opening game of the season. I can imagine totally rational takes off the back of that. But but no, I certainly regret do that agree one. with you myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had terrible flashbacks then, Alex, when you mentioned the back four towards the end of last mm. season. Zinchenko, Ake, Fernandinho, centre half. It was a bit. Who had it been yeah. at right back, or was it Fernandinho at right back? Uh, Maybe Laporte, no, I think probably it was Laporte, who, who soldiered on for his life-threatening injury and is suddenly missing however many months it is now. But um, in terms of this game upcoming, Adam, it'd be remiss of me to even try and predict what Jose Guardiola is thinking for the team this weekend. But am I going to get embarrassed once more by saying Erling Haaland shouldn't start or, or is now the time after the back of, on the back of that Liverpool game where where our good friend Pep goes, yeah, you know what, Alvarez is probably the man to, to stretch that defence ragged throughout the uh, opening half and then unleash the Nordic meat shield for the last half an hour or so? I think that that will depend on whether you interpret Holland's performance against Liverpool as um, a lack of fitness or a lack of, of sharpness. Because mm. if he's not I'd sharp... Fitness. I'd say fitness. I think the sharpness right. was there. I think the sharpness was there. Right. Because if he's not sharp, then you got to play through that until you get sharp. Yeah. If you're not fit, then you don't play through that. Um so I think it all kind of depends on how he trains this week. Um, I would guess that this is probably going to be a Friday decision for Pep Guardiola and his staff. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him start on the bench. But then again, this is what we said leading up to the Community Shield, and we were proved wrong that he played 90 minutes. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I just wanted to, to kind of, before we really move on from last weekend, I just want to point out and kind of – put this in everybody's heads like that was a game against Liverpool that was you know extreme circumstances from what City will face on a week by week basis like it's it's not going to be a front three of of Mo Salah, Luis Diaz and and Firmino every week that City are going to be facing like that was probably the best team City will play all year like it has been the last few years so um yeah I just wanted to point that out there that that feel like we should calm ourselves a little bit when it comes to reacting to a game against Liverpool because they are a good enough team that they can they can put you to the sword on, on any given day. You wouldn't possibly be telling people to take a step back and be calm about a situation, would mm-hmm. you, after, after a Community Shield loss? Surely not. Um, yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave what's gone before in, with the Liverpool game and what's coming up with the West Ham game behind us. And we'll move on to the, the present and probably the hottest topic in the world of Manchester City right now. And that is, of course, the, the situation with the left back. Now, Adam, I'll stick with you straight away because last week you told me the Kukurea deal wasn't deserving of transfer saga of a transfer saga label are you still sticking by that because for me this is fully blown saga this is this is as sagary as, as sagas can get yeah i mean as i stated last week um 
two clubs negotiating, if you can call it negotiating, over a player and one club valuing them higher than the other club is a fairly normal thing in the world of transfer deals. Um, but yes, I will give it the, the label transfer saga now. Yes. I think what has made it a saga for me is the about 18-hour news cycle in which Brighton have supposedly walked away from the deal and now uh, Chelsea have come in as potential suitors. Whether or not you believe that is um, messaging from the Brighton end or from the Chelsea end, um, there's plenty of ways to look at that report. Um, but yes, I will call it a transfer deal. And look, I've seen a lot of takes about this. Um, one of the dumber ones I've seen is that we don't need to be signing a fullback. We need to be signing a winger with that money. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw that take in the bin and not even address it. Um, but going into the season with two senior fullbacks and potentially an academy product that may or may not be able to step up is a worrying thing. I mean, City were, were stretched enough last season with three senior fullbacks and as we were just talking about, you know, the way that that, that, back, that back four ended the season when you had a kind of rotating cast of fullbacks and center backs coming from midfield and, and other positions in the back four, it was, um, it was chaotic. And I think you could say that it led to a bit more of a stressful end to the season than maybe it should have been. Um, so I'm not usually one that just says, pay the money, um, because I, I like to put my trust in the people who are much smarter than me when it comes to, to doing negotiations in the millions. Um, but when we are closing in on, you know, five or six days until the first Premier League balls are kicked um, and we've got two senior fullbacks, then you start to get your palms start to get a little bit sweaty with that. Yeah, certainly. And it feels like whatever's going to happen with this saga, which we, after the Adam Booker seal of approval, can officially call it, uh, will happen before before the end of the week. Or, or at least we'll probably have clarity on where Kukurea might be heading, not necessarily all signed, sealed and delivered, or even stay in. He could stay at Brighton. Um, reports, obviously, the day of recording, that shock horror, as has been the case throughout most of this summer. Chelsea are also looking at the player City are interested in. And if it's not from... the the City squad to start off with it, it's City's transfer targets themselves Alex, uh, Adam gave his take there that City should just pay up, are you are you with him there? Do you think City are right in being so reluctant to match that valuation especially considering the latest bid was uh, what, around £40 million, so £10 million short and what's that? A half a Gavin Bazunu really isn't it in terms of this summer's context Yeah, I mean I think I, I agree with Adam that um, usually, I mean, I think City should be praised for their usual transfer approach, and you know, it's uh, it's always proved to, to have been the right approach to, to not to not sort of be taken for mugs or you know to, to to put their foot down on a price, and if if a team doesn't go below that or isn't willing to sort of negotiate down, then it's you know okay, thanks but no thanks, we're going to go on to the next one, and you know we've seen in terms of fees and wages, personal terms over the years when deals have fallen through, you know, for like Alexis Sanchez or Harry Maguire, for example, it's City have always sort of come out okay from it in the end. Mm. But with this one, I think, you know, you don't, just because you have a principle, you don't always have to stick with it, if that makes sense. Um, and I think in exceptional circumstances, which I think this is, it's um, it just seems a bit bizarre to, to not, you know, it pay that extra £10 million. Obviously, in 2022, City have brought in 230 million pounds in player sales. Like that's it's a record. Surely they could go up 10 million pounds more, meet Brighton's asking price for a for a position that they really, really do need to fill. Because you know, to have just Xiao Cancelo, who isn't the world's best sort of defensive fullback, as the only option at left back, if you're not going to count. Uh, Josh Wilson as brand in this conversation because obviously he's hardly played for the first team. He's he's got his own injury issues, so I'm, I'm not sure he can be really relied upon as like a regular uh, option. So to to not go up by that ten million pounds, especially when Kukurea is more is sort of as far as I understand, you know, personal terms won't be an issue at all. He wants mm. to come to City. You know, I can't see him being a guy that's going to hold out for you know. Uh, wages or a contract that's millions 
like millions of times better than what he's already got at Brighton. He just wants to come to City and, and work with mm. Guardiola. So to not sort of stump up the extra 10 million and just get it done and get him in, you know, with a little bit of time to get ready for the season just seems a bit of a bizarre one, to be honest, for after what's been a pretty good summer for City. And obviously, I, I, I usually trust uh, Cheeky Bagheristan. You know, he's he's got a track record of doing good business with uh, when Pep's been at the club, but this one seems like an odd one. Um, yeah, so I, I'd, I'd just, in short, I'd, I'd pay it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's very peculiar, really, really peculiar. You mentioned obviously in, in past when City have walked away from deals, there's been the feeling that they'd been that they'd be okay. Obviously, Harry Kane last year, but in that situation, we already knew City could score goals without a striker. We we know City can't defend without a left back. We saw it at the back end of last year when that patched up defence was was being run ragged, and and now that only quote unquote left back in Zinchenko has left, so. City are going to have to sign someone, and, and you know what? I'll put it out there into the into the universe. I won't be surprised if come September second, if if we are if Pep Guardiola is sitting in a press conference going, yeah, you know, Cancelo, Walker, great guys, Josh, superb, we will be fine. We don't need another player, blah blah blah, because it, it it's turning into a little bit of a circus. I feel like, and I, and I know the 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 caveat and the response to that is well, there's still a month left. When the season gets going and when players start start sort of being knuckled down to the teams, it, it becomes a little bit harder to get one to move. Who knows? Kukure could hit the ground running at Brighton. It, Brighton will go absolutely no chance that will sell for less than sixty million pounds. You know, it's unlikely, but that's what happens when we're in the transfer window. Obviously, season does start on on Sunday and for City currently in the squad there are two senior fullbacks as we all know one who isn't a natural left back has got number seven on the back of his shirt and and sort of spiritually a winger the other 32 year old who missed the final quarter of last season with injury it's a World Cup year injuries are expected to be more frequent and squads will likely be more stretched feels like City are playing with fire a little bit here and we've had a question on the back of it from uh, from Law Lass who asks us Adam, and you can take this, how good would City be if they didn't leave with themselves short in one position every season? Well, I wouldn't say that they leave themselves short in, in one position every season. I mean, you go back and look at teams of the past, 2018-19, 2017-18, I didn't feel like they were short in any positions then. Um, and those teams were very successful, but also still you know, failed in other specific competitions. So... Um, yeah, I'd be very worried going into – I've already stated this, but I'd be very worried going into the season if that transfer window shuts and, and no more fullbacks have come in. I've said many times that I would be absolutely okay with City signing a right back. Um, but then again, I also felt that way when Zinchenko was still around and there wasn't really massive um, massive feeling that he may be leaving earlier in the summer. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a bit worrying. Um Obviously, Nathan Ake can play at left back. Laporte has played at left back plenty. But the last thing you want to be doing, especially in a season like you mentioned, where injuries may be ramping up a bit and, and there's going to be you know games squeezed into little windows to fit a ridiculous winter World Cup. Um, but the last thing you want to be doing is pulling players from other positions and, and stretching yourself even, even more thin. Um, so, yeah, I'd be worried when you look at the end of last season – we came down to playing, you know, a 37-year-old defensive midfielder at right back in a Champions League semi-final and, and in Premier League games in which, you know, we needed to pick up points to, to win the title or potentially lose the title. Um, and that was with three seniors, three senior fullbacks. So, yeah, it's, it's a worrying time. Um, I don't think City are necessarily not going to be able to compete if they don't sign somebody, but... Um, I think they won't be competing on multiple fronts. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, Alex, you can you can wrap the left back talk for this week anyway. And I don't know about you, but uh, City, uh, the, the 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 sort of the touted at looking at alternatives, and and Alex Grimaldo is one of them. Rafa Guerra from Borussia Dortmund is another one, but it doesn't seem as those boxes that are being ticked with Kukurea in terms of his age, in terms of Premier League experience, in terms of his potential, etc, 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 are there for all the alternatives, and it looks as if City are, are definitely going to sign a left-back, that's at least what we're led to believe, but it seems, it seems silly 
I think is a, a fair criticism when you've got the perfect or as close to the perfect target, number one target there in Mark Kukurea. And Brighton, I said it last week, I don't think they're being sort of too untoward asking for another £10 million for a player who's, who's got four years left in his contract or whatever it is. And then you go away from it and, and who knows, maybe paying close to that for an alternative. It, see, it seems a bit bizarre considering how well, as you said before, this transfer window has gone. And to start the season five, six days away, whatever it is, without having that position that was, was sort of almost a priority as soon as we knew Zinchenko was going to leave, even close to being wrapped up is confusing. Yeah, I mean, Kukurea is the... Like he is the the prime target for a reason. Like he's, as you said, the things like his age, um, the fact that he was very good for Brighton last season, and there's other things as well that makes him a great fit. He's Brighton are a team coached by Graham Potter, who has some similar ideals to mm. to Guardiola's style. There are definitely similarities. Guardiola sort of there was a bit of a bromance developed sort of last yeah. season. I seem to remember Guardiola always being very uh, having very nice words about uh, Potter and what he's. The Graham Potter team was what he what he called Brighton, <laughs> um, but yeah, and and the fact that he came up through um, um, La, La Masia, um, yeah, the ba- Barcelona academy. You know, it's obviously his time there didn't coincide with Guardiola's, but you know, uh, the work that Guardiola did at Barcelona is is still sort of running through that club, and you know, a lot of the sort of the principles of of Guardiola football. Kukurea will be pretty well versed with through having mm. come up through through that youth system. So it's, as you say, it's just um, to sort of to walk away from that for the sake of ten million and instead go with another fullback that perhaps has come from a team with a very different system and doesn't have the the same background in football that makes Kukurea such a good fit isn't Premier League proven. Um, all these things that make Kukurea the obvious first choice. It just is bizarre that. City will be willing to go with someone that doesn't have any of that for the sake of saving maybe 20 million or or whatever it is. Um, yeah. There must be something behind the scenes that we don't know because I don't I don't know I, I I trust City enough to not be that sort of you know that petty or to to kind of refuse to swallow their pride kind of thing. There must be something else, but obviously we're not privy to that information. So um, yeah, it does seem like he's the, he will be the perfect fit, and I just hope that City see sense and um, and just stump up the cash. Yeah, I thought exactly the same. I mean, cost of living crisis is hitting us all, but surely Manchester City aren't sort of, sort of <laughs> scraping around that much, trying to trying to save as much cash as, cash as possible, especially considering how much they've sold. Um, but we'll wrap there then. Before we get out of here, do check out our our Twitter page for a new announcement, football, a fancy Premier League. Uh, we've got a league together. Now, Adam, I'll give you 30 seconds. What is your biggest gripe with FPL and are you going to be competing in our league? I will be competing because I'm a team player, but I'm not I, I'm not going to really go off on a rant, but it's just it seems like it was designed in the 1950s and that's all I'll say. <laughs> um Alex, are you are you uh, are you like me this time of year you set up an FPL team and then by October it gets sort of thrown in the wayside or, or do you do you stick with it or do you even do one at all? Are you are you above that sort of nonsense? No, I'm I'm 100% like you. Every year I make one. Um and after about 2 months of the season it's just the team doesn't change after that. I forget to look at it. Um so yeah. I, I if if we're going to be having this um this league this city report league then I'll I'll make it my sort of goal to stay invested for the whole season but it's it's difficult it gets more it gets more difficult every year to to, to put a team together mm. for a hundred mil it's so many expensive players on there now um, but yeah I'll be I'll be up for it I'll be uh, in it to win it. Yeah, certainly. And who knows, maybe some prizes at the end of the season for the winners, um, depending on who you are. So, yeah, go over to Twitter, check that out. Um, Alex, absolute pleasure as always. Thank you for coming back and joining us. It's been superb. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been great. Uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully City uh, do the business against West Ham and um, we'll have a good start to the season for, for a change because it doesn't always go according to plan. <laughs> Mm, yeah, notorious slow starters. Um, Adam will be back this week before the season starts with a sort of in-depth, wider Premier League preview. But until then, anything to add to the listeners? No, nope, I'm just looking forward to real football being played. The time has finally come where I will engage interest <laughs> in football again. You'll come back out from under your rock. 
like yeah. Patrick from SpongeBob. Yeah. Um, yeah, so probably Thursday we'll get around to that and, and it'll be in your ears. Until then, obviously, please subscribe, follow along on whatever podcast platform you're listening along on, leave a rating and a review if you can. Until next time, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Alex Brotherton and Adam Booker. See you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.